Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening your eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. So recently, Forbes magazine reported on a large study that was conducted to discover a bit more about podcast listeners. And here's what they learned. A staggering 116 million people listened to a podcast in the last month. And one out of five people listened to podcasts weekly. And most respondents said they listen at home, the second most in their car, and then during exercise. And the growth of the overall podcast audience in the United States is 21% annually, one of the fastest growing digital mediums in the market today. 31% of people listen to podcasts on Spotify, 26% on Apple, and the rest on other mediums. So, no, you are riding a big wave of podcast consumption in the market today. The good news is you can find Open Your Eyes on Spotify, Apple, Audible, Google, and at OpenYourEyes.com. And the easiest thing to do is subscribe to one of these channels, and that way you get the new podcast as it's released each week. And if this is your first time listening, welcome to Open Your Eyes. I hope this podcast today helps you open your eyes to some new ways of thinking and doing. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk to you about making a major mental shift. If you've ever been in an earthquake like I have, you understand the helplessness that you feel as the ground begins to move under your feet. I've been in a 5.7 and a 7.1 magnitude quake, and the difference between the two is unbelievable. You see, the most famous magnitude measurement of earthquakes is the Richter scale. It's a logarithmic scale. That means each whole number increase in magnitude represents a tenfold increase in measured amplitude. So a magnitude 5 earthquake is 10 times as strong as a 4 magnitude quake. Now, history has shown that there's about 10,000 earthquakes a year that are magnitude 4, 1,000 that are magnitude 5, 100 that are 6, 10 to 20 that are magnitude 7, and one a year that is magnitude 8. Now, magnitude 9 or above quakes only happen once about every 50 years. On December 26, 2004, a 9.1 magnitude earthquake, the second largest ever recorded since the invention of the seismometer over 100 years ago, struck off the coast of Sumatra. Now, the quake's fault line was an incredible 1,200 kilometers long, located where the Burma Plate bumps up against the subducting Indian Plate. And the massive shift violently forced the entire Burma Plate upwards about 45 feet, an enormous shift by any standard. The total energy released from the quake equaled the power of 9,600 gigatons of TNT, or 550 atomic bombs, or stated another way, enough energy to power the entire United States for 370 years. At every spot on the entire earth, the ground was raised and lowered at least one full centimeter by the seismic waves from the Sumatra quake, and it did in fact alter the earth's rotation. It also created huge upward shifts on the ocean floor, producing giant tsunami waves in the Indian Ocean. Now, in the deep ocean, tsunami waves are barely detectable, only a few feet high. 
and in most instances, ships will barely be able to feel them. But once the tsunami reaches the shallow water, the height of the wave can be enormous, and it can surge inland for miles. Now, the tsunami generated by the 9.1 magnitude Sumatra quake was massive, and the resulting tsunami spread out, racing at speeds of over 500 miles per hour and heights up to 45 feet, traveling thousands of miles. As the waves came ashore, they pushed inland with immense power, killing more than 200,000 people in the region. The tsunamis took anywhere from 15 minutes to 7 hours to reach the coastline, and Indonesia was the hardest hit. In the major city of Banda Aceh, there were thousands of people simply washed away. The first wave filled houses inland with over 5 feet of water, then two massive tsunamis demolished the city. And the area towards the sea was wiped clean of every single structure. In the seaside section of the city, the flow depths of the tsunami were over 30 feet. Sri Lanka fared no better with 35,000 people killed. The tsunamis also hit the coast of Thailand about two hours after the quake. Approximately 8,000 people were killed. Among the dead would be the mother and sister of Eddie Fasnage. Eddie and her boyfriend, Matt, had been on the trip of a lifetime traveling all over Asia. Her mother and sister traveled to meet them for Christmas in Thailand, and they had planned to go kayaking on Christmas, but all the boats were booked, so they delayed getting on the water until the following day, Boxing Day. On December 26th in the morning, it started uneventful. They were enjoying the clear blue water. Then all of a sudden, the water around them started to rise quickly and a large wave came in. It moved them around forcefully on their kayaks, and Eddie told her mom and sister, don't go near the rocks. Then they saw a giant wave headed towards them. It was 40 feet tall. They watched as it swallowed a sailboat nearby, breaking it into pieces, and they knew there was nothing they could do. The wave pushed Eddie underwater and tumbled her around and around like she was in a giant washing machine. This went on for so long, she thought she was going to die. And finally, after regaining the sense of where she was, she kicked up and found that she was trapped underneath a wall of solid rock on the surface. And feeling her way around, she finally found a break in the rocks and surfaced into the open air. On the surface, she saw Matt, her sister Alice, and her mom a few meters away. They were all treading water, but no one was saying anything. And she didn't know why they were so quiet. Then she turned to see, and there was another, larger wave approaching. Again, like being in a giant washing machine, she was tossed and pushed and pulled for what seemed an eternity, and for the second time, she surfaced. This time, her family was gone. Then a third wave hit. This one stronger and more severe, and this slammed Eddie against the rocks. It drug her over the rocks, slamming her again and again against the jagged surface. And when she surfaced for air... She saw her mother floating lifeless in the water. She swam over to her mom and turned her over and tried to breathe into her mother's mouth, but it was obvious she was dead. Eddie didn't know what to do. She couldn't leave her mother, but she knew she would likely die if she stayed in the water and another wave hit again. So she swam to some nearby rocks, numb with cuts and gashes all over her body. She was alone, and she didn't know where to go or what to do. Some of the cuts in her legs were so deep she could see the bones in her leg, but she didn't dare go back in the water because of the tidal waves, so she tried to make her way on land. 
but the dense vegetation and the fire ants tore at her open wounds. And for hours in the midday sun, she made very little progress. Soon, she realized the only way to get back to civilization was to swim. Dehydrated, in shock, and risking infection and the impact of another wave, Eddie got back in the water and started to swim. It took hours, and the water was full of debris, one obstacle after another. Finally, after several hours in the water, she arrived at a sandy beach. She was exhausted. Everything inside her said to close her eyes, but she knew if she did, she might not wake up. So she summoned what little strength she had and started walking. Finally, she stumbled on two men. As she approached them, they looked at her as if she was a ghost. And she hadn't stopped to think about how she looked. Her cuts were filled with maggots and bugs. Her clothes were torn and shredded. Her wounds were now swollen and her face was disfigured. She was almost unrecognizable. Unbelievably, as she described her boyfriend and sister to the men, they told her that they had seen someone fitting her boyfriend's description. They would send word and Matt and Eddie would soon reunite. But her mother's body and her sister would never be found. They were loaded into a small boat to be evacuated. They had to travel past where Eddie had found her mother's body. She didn't dare look, but she knew she had to. But her mother and sister were gone. Finally, she made it to a makeshift hospital where she spent several days. On the first day in the hospital, without much more than dressings for her wounds, she was lying on her bed in incredible pain. She needed to roll over, but her body had no strength. She cried and tried to move. Then, out of nowhere, she felt Alice, her sister, by her side. She felt Alice's hand on her hip, helping her to roll over. Then Alice was gone. And Eddie knew it was Alice's way of saying she had passed on, but she would always be with Eddie. Soon they were evacuated. They'd find advanced medical care and would recover. And after Eddie recovered, as part of her learning to accept what had happened, she wrote a book about her experience. The title of that book, Rinse, Spin, Repeat. This was a metaphor, not only of her experience in the water as one wave after another tossed her about, but also in life as she learned to cope with the loss of her family. Now, while not to Eddie's extent or extreme, I think we all get tossed about by life from time to time. And it often comes in waves, sometimes too many waves. Cancer, autism, layoffs, bankruptcy, discouragement, stress, depression, COVID, and many other tidal waves come our way in life. And we get tossed about and then tossed about again. No doubt that in our world today, the coronavirus has taken us through a wash spin cycle or two, hasn't it? The economy, the rise and fall of social media opinions, inflation, and the job market are all having their way with us right now. So, how do you survive the wash-spin cycles of life? How do you prosper in circumstances that are out of your control? The answer? Mental strength. Now, in high school, no doubt you had a physical education class, and you learned what a good diet consists of and the importance of exercise. And since then, you've even likely had a teacher show you how to exercise or do push-ups and sit-ups, and you've been exposed to a variety of exercise methods. You see, we've all learned how to grow stronger physically. But when was the last time you sat through a course on mental strength? It's funny. As advanced as we are in our society, we still don't train each other on how to get stronger in the way we think. Why is that? 
Well, it's not because we don't need it, and it's not because there aren't proven ways to get stronger mentally. Now, if you've been around a while, it's likely you've heard at least one variation of this joke. A customer bought his first chainsaw, and he was told how many trees he should be able to cut down in an hour. He came back to the dealer complaining later. You see, he couldn't cut a tenth that many trees. The saw was checked and found it to be in perfect condition, and he was reassured that with practice and time, he would become better. But he came back to the store again and again with the same complaint. Finally, in desperation, the dealer said, let me take you out to the forest and show you how to use it. Well, when they got there, the dealer pulled the cord, the engine roared, the saw blade started whirling round and around, and the customer yelled, what's that? You see, just as the customer didn't know how to start and use the chainsaw, and just as you can imagine in your mind that customer trying to cut down the tree by using the chainsaw like an axe without turning the motor on, so we sometimes flail about in life doing things without the right tools. And very few of us have been given the tools to gain and grow mental strength. And as a result, when things happen to us beyond our control, we are very much like the man trying to cut down a tree without starting the chainsaw motor. Mentally strong people use the right tools to strengthen their mental muscles and are equipped to better deal productively with life's events. And they move through change with greater success and most of all, seem to have found happiness despite changing circumstances. In her study of children participating in the famous ESPN-broadcasted Spelling Bee, Angela Duckworth tested Spelling Bee participants in terms of their level of mental strength, IQ, and several other factors. And here's what she learned. The mentally strong students advanced further in the competition than other students. Mental strength was more important than IQ or other factors. In fact, practice time or how many times the kids had participated in the competition did not predict as well as mental strength who would advance in the competition. So how do we find and increase mental strength? Well, once upon a time, a psychology professor walked around on a stage while teaching stress management principles to an auditorium filled with students. And as she raised the glass of water, everyone expected that they'd be taught the typical glass half empty or glass half full lesson. Instead, with a smile on her face, the professor asked, how heavy is this glass of water I'm holding? She said, from my perspective, the absolute weight of this glass doesn't matter. It all depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute or two, it's fairly light. If I hold it for an hour straight, its weight makes my arm ache a little. If I hold it for a day straight, my arm will likely cramp up and feel entirely numb and paralyzed, forcing me to drop the glass to the floor. In each case, the weight of the glass doesn't change, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it feels. As the class shook their heads in agreement, she continued, your stresses and worries in life are very much like this glass of water. Think about them for a while, and nothing happens. Think about them for a bit longer, and you begin to ache a little. Think about them all day long, and you will feel completely numb and paralyzed, incapable of doing anything else until you drop them. This is a true principle, and mentally strong people have learned the tools to use to take control of their thoughts. 
All of us, regardless of our circumstances, must continue to master thought control in our life. And there isn't a person alive who doesn't have to work at thought control. In fact, nowadays, with greater chunks of time spent in our own homes, hunkered down because of COVID, this becomes an even more important necessity in life. You see, all of us have thought patterns that we fall into, usually about the past or present, and usually they bring us stress and anxiety. And when we return to those thoughts, our brain grabs them and puts them on a loop of repetitive, unhealthy playback. Sometimes we stress about the worst that can happen to us or how unfair things are or how we don't measure up. So how do you control your thought patterns? Well, the simple answer is you replace them. You preempt the negative thoughts. You interrupt them and put your thoughts on a more productive track. The truth is, No two things can occupy your attention or thoughts at the same time. Here's a simple example. I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise with me right now on this podcast, so get ready. I would like you to let your mind go, and I'd like you to think as many random thoughts as possible in the next five seconds. Remember, as many different thoughts as you can possibly think. Move quickly from one to the other. Can you do that? All right, five seconds. Here we go. Ready, start. Think as many thoughts as you can. Okay, stop. Now I'd like you to do the same thing again. Let as many random thoughts go through your brain as possible. And this time, do exactly the same thing, but don't think of a purple giraffe with white polka dots. You know, a giraffe tall, Purple, long neck, curly lips, purple lips with white polka dots all over. A purple giraffe. Here we go. Lots of thoughts. Let them run through your mind and do not think of a purple giraffe with white polka dots. Ready? Go. Don't think of it. Okay, stop. Now, if you're like most people, You couldn't get through the exercise without a purple giraffe sneaking into your thinking, or at least on the periphery of your thoughts. Now, each time I do this exercise, a few people are able to not think of the giraffe. How? Well, they purposefully think of something productive and focus on that. And by doing so, there's no room for a purple giraffe in their thinking. You see, productive thoughts crowd out the negative. So let's talk about the tool of productive thinking. Human beings are far more skilled at following old patterns than thinking up new thoughts and thought patterns. You see, we all have patterns that structure our lives. We have patterns in how we wake up, how we get ready for the day, and go about our work. Likewise, our brains use patterns. Why? Well, it saves effort. Let me give you a simple example. Now try this experiment, will you? Go ahead right now, out loud, recite the months of the year as fast as you can. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. You get it, okay? Now, you were probably able to do that in less than five seconds. Now, I'd like you to list the months again, and this time, do it alphabetically. You ready? Here we go. Begin. Now, it's likely some of you are struggling. The answer is April, August, December, February, March, May, January, July, June, November, October, and September. Okay? 
But without the regularly used pattern, it takes us significantly more time, brain time, in order to list the months of the year. So patterns save us energy. And because we can think in patterns, we use less brain time and can focus on other things. But thinking patterns can also be destructive. When we return to destructive patterns, we turn over our life, ourselves, our thinking to them. Now, you may remember the story of the man who was passing by the elephants near a circus tent. He suddenly stopped, confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held only by a small rope tied to their front leg and attached to a stake in the ground. No chains, no cages. And it was obvious that the elephants could at any time break away from their bonds. But for some reason, they didn't do it. He saw a trainer nearby and asked why these animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. Well, the trainer said, when they're very young and much smaller, we use the same size rope to tie them. And at that age, it's enough to hold them. And as they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they can't break away. So they never try. So you may ask, what's the rope we have tied to our ankles today that keeps us from moving on from our way of thinking and opening our eyes to a better way? I call it the GPS mindset. Think about a GPS. We turn on a GPS and it gives us the map, the turn-by-turn directions, and we don't have to give where we're going a deliberate thought. We don't have to think about where is north or south, and we don't have to imagine where our intended location is in the city. GPS has taken the thought process out of driving. Likewise, so many things have become easy in our current world. We want instant entertainment, instant Google answers, and this conditions us to expect all the complexities of life to be reduced to a simple search result. But the truth is, life doesn't work that way. So it's easy to get stressed and anxious when we face those complexities in life. As a college professor, one of my major objectives each semester with my students is to help them think about the way they think. Usually, they've received very little training on how to think and think productively. And it's funny that my students, and my employees for that matter, often get frustrated and discouraged because they want the answers and they want me to fix their problems right now for them, something I don't do. And they'll often even get angry that when they're working through a difficult problem, I won't just give them the answer. I've seen this tendency increase year after year in the last decade. My students are getting so used to getting immediate answers that they can't mentally cope with a situation where they must work with and through ambiguity. I'll point them in the direction of resources and tools, but the work and solution are for them to discover. Now, some students then start to realize, wait a minute, I need to take responsibility. I need to think productively about how to navigate this complexity. Now, I'll ask them some purposeful questions like, What is a possible answer? Take a guess. What might work? Then I ask, well, how could you figure out the right answer? And I add, what if you couldn't use a solution that's already been used before? What would you do? You see, these questions are uncomfortable because finding answers requires trial, failure, and messiness. And some students quit when facing trial or failure. In my opinion, this is important for us parents to learn as well. We can stop presenting the immediate answers to our children. We can help our children learn to think. 
And if I could go back and repeat my parenting process again, I would let my children fail more and wouldn't rush in to save them so often. It's funny, one clever cat food commercial on TV has a mom relaxing on the couch, cuddling a purring cat and reading a magazine. When she hears her daughter shouting from outside, mom, I fell. Mom says, there's bandages in the cabinet. And the daughter responds, I'm bleeding. And mom nonchalantly says, grab two and keeps on reading with the cat. This may be an extreme, but we are trying to develop mentally strong students and children who can productively live stress-free in an environment of the unknown. And this not only applies to our children, but also to ourselves. We need the same mental strength. Years ago, a 34-year-old physicist was on vacation with his family in New Mexico. His company had developed a variety of technologies for the Allied forces fighting in Europe, including night vision goggles, and a stereoscopic optical device that would reveal camouflaged enemy positions in aerial photography. The company, named Polaroid, had done well, but the war would soon end, and he would need to figure out what his 1,250 employees would do after the war. He had been taking photographs of the scenery, his wife Helen, and their three-year-old daughter Jennifer. And when they got back to their hotel, Jennifer asked to see the photographs. He told her he would have to wait to send the film to the lab for developing. And that would be a few days before any pictures would be ready for her to see. And this spurred the thoughts of the young inventor. Could he create a photograph that could be developed instantly on the spot? This started a three-year period of productive thinking and development of the Polaroid camera. And he would develop a one-step process for producing finished photographs in 60 seconds. And by 1950, Polaroid was manufacturing 1 million packs of film a year and selling cameras and accessories through over 4,000 dealers across the United States. What's interesting is that the inventor, Edwin Land, would say of productive thinking, you always start with a fantasy, a dream of where you want to end up. Part of that is to visualize something as perfect. Then with experiments, you work back from the perfect to reality, hacking away at the components. Likewise, when we have an end goal, without all the answers, we get productive in our thinking. And in doing so, we can replace negative thought patterns that can sabotage our life. But this takes some mental shifts, some earthquake-type shifts in our way of doing and thinking. Nobel Prize winner Max Planck said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Now, here are some of the most powerful mental shifts you can use to change your life. The first mental shift is this. It's not about you. That's the truth. Most of the time, it's not about you. You see, many of our negative thought patterns begin and sustain themselves because we are thinking about the impact on us, on our own needs, or our own mood. Tony Robbins once said, the reason you're suffering is you're so focused on yourself. You see, the primary stumbling block for many of us is our prevailing thoughts are about us, and our vision doesn't extend beyond our own needs. For example, when a musician starts out, they write lots of music for the love of it. Their dreams are often huge. And if they end up becoming successful in almost every case, 
they'll begin producing less and less music over time. Why? Well, their focus shifts from why they're writing music to what their music is bringing to them. When their focus shifts to themselves, they lose that spark they once had. They lose their productive thinking. And they begin to seek constant affirmation and stop seeking genuine feedback, and they collaborate less. So when you're stuck in a thought pattern of why something happened to you or what someone else did to you, shift. Shift by asking the question, what can I do to help someone else? Make it less about you. This works like a charm. For example, perhaps your negative thought pattern is that you heard someone talking negatively about you to someone else. Ask the question, what can I do to help someone else? This shifts your thinking into something productive, what you can do. Perhaps you think you could forgive this person and help them succeed. And that productive thinking all but removes the anxiety over what happened to you. It's just like changing the channel. You turn off the self-pity channel or the habitual thought pattern channel and literally select a new one. Perhaps it's the gratitude channel or helping others channel. You change your thoughts by replacing them with more productive thoughts. Now, no one likes criticism. It never feels good. And I know from experience what it's like to be sensitive to the criticism from others. But I've also learned the power of this mental habit to shift your thoughts away from yourself. It works amazingly well. The next mental shift is also powerful and can bring about significant change in your mental strength. When you're faced with a difficult situation or in a negative thought pattern, ask yourself, what is another way I could view my situation? This is an incredibly freeing question. It almost always shifts you from your typical thought pattern to a new consideration. For example, Let's say you've been unable to find the job you want, and you've received several rejection letters to your interview attempts. And your thought pattern is, man, I'm just a bad interviewer, or I'm too old, or I don't look the part. Instead, shift by asking, what is another way I could view my situation? Man, I know my opportunity is coming, or these have been cold interviews. I could network more within my circle of influence and friends, and that may heighten the chances of success. You see, it shifts you to productive thinking, and this will change almost every thought pattern. And here's the last mental shift, and it is also powerful. It's this. Ask yourself, is my current thinking worthy thinking? And when I say worthy, I mean worthy of you. The most significant shift we can make is to keep in view our ultimate potential, and hold that view of who we can become in extremely high regard. Because the truth is, you are extraordinary. Every day, ordinary people like you do extraordinary things, and you are not made or put here by your creator just to get by or to wait until it's convenient. You have within you the potential to make your life fabulous and remarkable. You've done amazing things in your life, but those things are nothing compared to what awaits you in your future. I believe you were not placed here to live your life following negative thoughts or patterns. You have tsunami-like strength to shift upwards from where you are to who and what you can become. You are of more value to those around you and to your maker 
than you can possibly imagine. And I believe you have been put in the circumstances in which you've been placed for a reason, for a purpose. I believe you've been given the choices you have in front of you because if you choose well, you can make something extraordinary of your life and the lives of those around you. So now is the time to shift your thoughts upward. Mental strength is found at the frontier of pursuing something worth fighting for, your potential. Yes, you will have challenges. But as Haruki Murakami said, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person that walked in. That's what the storm is all about. So as we end today, remember, like Eddie, we are often tossed about in a rinse, spin, repeat cycle that causes us to think unproductively. And this is compounded by the fact that we live in an instant world, a world where if you can't have it now, do it now or enjoy it now, it is esteemed of little value. Some people think extraordinary things are only extraordinary if they happen instantaneously, but the extraordinary takes time. It takes a new way of thinking, persistence, and faith. And because it takes a new way of thinking, People rarely do the extraordinary. The truth is, you will not have a GPS for everything. You were meant to ask questions, focus on others, lose the need to have yourself at the center of everything, and think, is there another way to view what is happening to me? There is, and that view is you growing in mental strength. Remember those three questions. What can I do to help someone? What is another way I could view my situation? And is my current thinking worthy thinking? These questions will mentally shift you into new ways of thinking and doing. Thank you for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. <music>